This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. With more than 85,000 American deaths from coronavirus and the death projection for the next two and a half months being revised to almost 150,000, the U.S. House of Representatives was told today, time is running out, there is no national plan, and the Trump administration missed the early warning signs of the deadly pandemic. That was the message today from Rick Bright, until recently the head of the office at the Department of Health and Human Services, developing measures to fight infectious diseases such as coronavirus. Delivering damning testimony before Congress today, giving a dire warning about the pandemic and the Trump administration's continued lack of preparedness in his view. Bright saying officials were dismissive of his warnings back in January that the U.S. did not have enough personal protective equipment. I was met with uh, indifference, um, saying they were either too busy, they didn't have a plan, they didn't know who was responsible for procuring those. Um, In some cases, they had a sick child and it would get back to it later in the week. Uh, A number of excuses, but never any action. Right, going on to describe an email from an N95 mask supplier in January calling it a moment he will never forget. And he said, we're in deep shit. The world is, and we need to act. Bright says he got no response after pushing that to the highest levels of the Department of Health and Human Services, and it was at that moment, he said, that he knew there would be a crisis, saying the Trump administration had no coordinated plan to combat coronavirus and continues to not have a master plan. Bright, of course, was removed from his post, alleging retaliation from the Trump administration for refusing to promote a drug that President Trump continued to push to help fight coronavirus, a drug since declared dangerous by the Food and Drug Administration. The White House and President Trump say that Bright is simply a disgruntled employee. I'm going to speak with Bright's attorney, Deborah Katz, in just moments. But first, CNN's Caitlin Collins reports on Bright's stunning assessment of how the Trump administration Drop the ball in battling this deadly virus. Today, the vaccine official ousted from his job during the coronavirus pandemic said the administration's failure to warn the public about coronavirus cost lives. I believe Americans need to be told the truth. People were not as prepared as they could have been and should have been. Testifying for the first time since he was removed from his role as the head of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, Rick Bright with a dire warning that the U.S. doesn't have a master plan and there still aren't enough tests. There still are not enough tests. So even this week, as we're being told, anybody who wants a test can have a test. Is that true in the United States of America? No. Bright alleges he was demoted for objecting to the widespread distribution of a drug promoted by the president. Hydroxychloroquine. And he says he was pressured to make it more widely available. Did the pressure from the White House and HHS general counsel put you in a difficult position? Yes. Bright says his superiors disregarded his early warnings about mask shortages, even though he passed along this urgent message from Mike Bowen, one of the only mask manufacturers in the U.S. We're in deep shit. The world is. And we need to act. And I pushed that forward to the highest levels I could in HHS 
I got no response. The former vaccine chief said he's troubled by the government's seeming inability to ramp up production of simple resources like swab. It says to me, sir, that there is no master coordinated plan on how to respond to this outbreak. Bright cautioned that there could be more shortages to come if the U.S. doesn't make a plan now about how to distribute a vaccine once it's ready. He also cast doubt on the president's optimistic timeline about when that will be. I think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year. Will we be able to vaccinate people in the next few months? It's very unlikely. As he left the White House for Pennsylvania, President Trump said he watched Bright but dismissed his allegations. To me, he's nothing more than a, a really uh, disgruntled, unhappy person. The Health and Human Services Secretary also pushed back on Bright's claims as he testified, arguing that they're unfounded. Everything he's complaining about was achieved. Now, Jake, Mike Bowen is that executive that Rick Bright is talking about there, warning about the potential mask shortages that he saw coming months ago, he says. He also testified today. He told lawmakers that he has been a lifelong Republican, but he says he's been embarrassed by the way that this pandemic has been handled. And he says the scientists are the ones that the United States and the federal government need to be listening to, and he doesn't think that's happening. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, joining me now is Rick Bright's attorney, uh, Deborah Katz. Um, thanks for joining me, Ms. Katz. Um, in a statement, the Department of Health and Human Services said Mr. Bright had limited visibility in, into the whole of government response to COVID-19. And I want you to respond to the clip that we just heard um, from Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Let's run that again. Everything he's complaining about was achieved. Everything he talked about was done. Oh, and by the way, whose job was it to actually lead the development of vaccines? Dr. Bright. So while we're launching Operation Warp Speed, he's not showing up for work to be part of that. So there are two uh, accusations in there. Let's take them one at a time if we could. Um, Ms. Katz. Uh, so Azar says everything he's complaining about was achieved. Everything he talked about was done. Uh, is that not true? Of course, it's not true. And that is just such a tragic response. There's no responsibility being taken for the fact that lives are being lost needlessly every single day. We still do not have very, very basic things that uh, Dr. Bright testified were needed. And the fact that this administration continues to lie to the American public about our preparedness when we are going to be entering into a period where we're going to be socked again uh, with both the influenza season and COVID. Uh, it, it's just tragic uh, that we continue to be lied to by this administration. Dr. Bright testified for four hours about things that still haven't been done that need to be done for us to confront and combat this virus. And uh, this response is really shocking. All right, let's take the second half of what Azar said there. He said, by the way, uh, whose job was it to lead the development of a vaccine, Dr. Bright? So while we were launching Operation Warp Speed, that's to produce a vaccine, he's not showing up for work to be part of that. What's your response to that? That's just another uh, smear campaign by this administration. Uh, Dr. Bright had 800 hours of accrued medical leave. He's never taken a sick day. And as a result of what happened and the forced uh, uh, removal from the position, 
he suffered a great deal of uh, stress and his blood pressure shot up. And at the direction of his physician, uh, his hypertension was out of control and he's been out on medical leave. He's earned the medical leave. It's accrued medical leave. And the administration knows exactly where he is. The other thing that we've alleged in the complaint is when he was removed from his position, there was no position that they were actually sending him to. So he spent the last week trying to discuss what this position would be if he were to go to NIH. But what this administration still has not answered is the request from the Office of Special Counsel to stay his removal and leave him in his position as director of BARDA, which is, of course, what is best for this nation. And it is what Dr. Bright most hopes will happen here, that he will be allowed to continue in his role and lead the nation's effort to combat this very, very deadly uh, virus. So let's talk about that, because your client said today that the U.S. can count on him to do his part to fight the pandemic. If he is not reinstated at BARDA, the name of the office where he was at HHS, will yes. he eventually report for work at the NIH, this new gig, to try to help defeat this deadly virus in a, a new capacity? Yes, he is a committed public servant. He has spent his entire life working to prepare for something like this. He is seniorly qualified to lead this nation's efforts. And unfortunately, he's been sidelined and he's being put in a very diminished role. But whatever role he's put in, he will work to on behalf of the American people because his entire uh, mission is to save lives. And he will do that. The issue is, will they ever give him a real role? And thus far, they've never identified a position that would be appropriate for him. So when, when will, so he hasn't even he hasn't showed up to work because there's no place for him to go. I don't want to subscribe to he hasn't showed up for work. He, it was shocking that he was removed from his position. As we've alleged in the complaint, he was lied to about what the new position would be. When he called NIH, they had no knowledge that he was going there. He spoke to Catholic, who said, I don't know why Collins is saying this to you. And he got ping pong. There was no role. It was an absolute pretext that they were putting him someplace else. And as soon as he came forward and said he was bringing a whistleblower complaint, and went from we're putting you in this new role because this is a very important role to casting aspersions about him and making untruthful statements about him. There has been no role. He has reached out to NIH to say, what would this role be? What would my duties be? What are my responsibilities? But it, as recently as last week during a press conference, in a real act of retaliation, they were asked whether he was going to lead the Shark Tank effort. And they said, absolutely not. So... I don't think this administration wants him. And in fact, today, the president tweeted something that suggested that somebody as eminent as Dr. Bright should not have a role working for the federal government. So this administration can criticize him for not showing up at work at a time that he's he's under doctor's orders not to go to work. But the fact is they haven't given him a position. All right, Deborah Katz, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Coming up next, I'm going to talk to a pandemic expert who has said it's possible up to 800,000 people in the U.S. could ultimately die from COVID-19. Plus, the future is here, a look at how new technology is being used to slow the spread of coronavirus. Stay with us. In our national lead today, Georgia and Colorado, states that started reopening a few weeks ago, are seeing a decline in new coronavirus cases, which some health experts say could be because of the continued social distancing guidelines that remain in place. In total, 24 states have seen a drop in the past week, while only nine have seen an increase. And as CNN's Erica Hill reports for us now, now President Trump is pushing for schools to reopen by the fall. 
Los Angeles County beaches are back. I think I've been going down to Orange County a lot to get my fix, so it's nice to be at home. Open today for exercise only. No sunbathing or large groups. The Jersey Shore, along with other beaches in New Jersey, will be open by Memorial Day. The Grand Canyon allowing limited access tomorrow. Yellowstone National Park ready to welcome visitors on Monday. And the Mall of America, the country's largest, will reopen June 1st. In the country's epicenter, COVID-19 hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and the percentage of people testing positive for the virus are all down. Three for three, a perfect day, New York City. Nearly half the country, 24 states, showing a decline in new cases over the past week. Since reopening three weeks ago, new cases in Georgia are down 12 percent. Colorado's dropping 36 percent. Pennsylvania's numbers are down 14 percent as the voices pushing to reopen that state grow louder. We're not sheep, we're people. With encouragement from President Trump visiting a medical equipment factory in the state today. Most of this equipment is made in the USA. Packed bars in Wisconsin after the state Supreme Court ruled the stay-at-home order there was unlawful and unenforceable. Welcome back, America! I am more than happy to be back. The governor warning the move will set his state back. We cannot let the court's ruling undo all the work we have done and all the sacrifices Wisconsin's have made over these past few months. Parents wondering what September will bring as the president pushes for children to return to the classroom. I think that we have to open our schools. Young people are very little affected by this. The virus, while often less severe in children, can affect young people who can also be carriers. 17 states are now investigating possible cases of a rare but concerning inflammatory illness in school-aged children, which may be linked to COVID-19. Most of the children impacted, more than 100, are in New York. The facts on this virus have changed, and I believe they will continue to change. As states begin to reopen, new findings from the National Institutes of Health show respiratory droplets could remain in the air for eight minutes, raising concerns about how long the virus may linger. This is a highly contagious disease. That's why we're seeing outbreaks in call centers, in choirs and other places where people are in a confined space with a lot of others. And I do really worry when social distancing guidelines are lifted. continuing to see restrictions lifted. I want to show you some live pictures out of Orlando, Florida, where Universal's uh, City Walk is reopening, uh, just reopening at the top of the hour at 4 o'clock. It will be open for from 4 to 10 every day. Just a handful of businesses, though, restaurants opening. Uh, there will be a limited menu, tables spaced appropriately, we're told. No valet parking. And they'll continue to monitor to see about possible changes in the future, Jake. All right, Erica Hill, thank you so much. And joining us now, Michael, Michael Osterholm, the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Michael, good to see you again. So let me ask good you, it's been you, nearly three weeks since Georgia reopened, and that state has not seen a huge spike. Uh, neither has Colorado or Pennsylvania or Florida. What do you make of it? Well, I think there are actually two things we have to consider here. One is that give it another week or two to see if, in fact, those 
transmissions that occurred three weeks ago resulted now in cases finally just being detected. Uh, but I think also we have to consider the possibility that just as we've been talking about uh, from a pandemic standpoint, that if you look at influenza, you have initial uh, peaks of cases that occur, a first wave, it disappears, literally very few cases, and then two to three months later, it comes back with a vengeance. So I don't take any comfort that uh, the viruses basically are, there are fewer or more of them right now as much as I look at what's going to happen long term. I've also heard from a health expert that maybe one of the things that's going on in Georgia and Florida and elsewhere is that while they are easing back into reopening some stores and, and the like, some retail outlets, um, people are continuing to wear masks. They're continuing to practice social distancing. So it's possible that that is even more effective than, than we thought it would be. Right. We, 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 I mean, we have to just be honest and tell the public we don't know. It could be partly that they're still doing that. It could be the fact that uh, the cases will increase as we see the second or third level of transmissions from two weeks ago. Or it could be that we could all be witnessing this virus just slowly, uh, in a sense, uh, going away for now. But I think the important message there is that so we forecast it now that, in fact, if that happens, that's necessarily, not necessarily a good sign. That that means that it very well could be acting like an influenza virus, which just does disappear, and then it comes back with a vengeance. And so we're left with all these uh, unanswered questions. What's going on? That's right. In 1918, the first wave actually was nothing compared to the second and third waves of the influenza. Today, uh, Richard right. Bright, the ousted director of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, said that, quote, lives were lost because of the Trump administration's delayed response in getting PPE, personal protective equipment like masks, to doctors. He also said doctors and, nursing are, doctors and nurses are wearing substandard masks. Um, is this true? Is this continuing to be a problem? What more needs to be done? Number one, we have been talking about PPE since day one. Uh, I believe that a healthcare worker is not protected until they have an N95 respirator on uh, when they're working in wars with COVID cases. Uh, we've seen many healthcare workers who have become cases of COVID infection, uh, and that more importantly, they've not only become infected, but they've been very severely ill, suggesting there even may be a dose phenomena. And I think a lot of this can go back to inadequate PPE. Uh, ultimately, one day we're going to look back and, and learn that uh, we didn't protect our healthcare workers nearly enough. What I'm really concerned about is going forward. How do we, if we have a big surge of cases like in 1918, what will we do then for protective equipment? So we need now to be really thinking about that. And now is not the time to ease up and say, well, cases are going down. Maybe we're over the hump. If anything, it's more in preparation now than we've ever done. There's this businessman who testified today, Mike Bowen from Texas. He, he talked about how he warned the Trump administration uh, about the pandemic back in January. He offered to manufacture these N95 masks you were just talking about. Rick Bright sounded the alarm in the administration. Uh, but Bowen and Bright say the administration ignored his offer. Here was his response when he was asked about uh, that today and the fact that Bright was ultimately reassigned. I'm a Republican. Been a lifelong Republican. And I'm embarrassed by how that's been handled. What's your reaction? 
Well, we didn't do nearly enough to get prepared in those uh, weeks and uh, months up to the actual recognition of major transmission in the United States. I have an article coming out in Foreign Affairs this week that actually goes into detail about that very issue. I can say there are some good news issues. On January 20th, our center announced that we believe that there would be a pandemic. I met with leadership at the 3M company that day and said, there's going to be a pandemic. I'm certain of it. And uh, the next day, they went into full production uh, 24-7, all the machines in their organization. And so some people did respond early, but not because of our government, but because of other information that was available to them uh, that could have been available to our government. All right. Michael Osterholm, as always, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you much, Jake. Sure. Thank you. President Trump is now openly griping about Dr. Anthony Fauci. Next, our behind-the-scenes reporting on the relationship between the president's and the top doctor. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, President Trump is, for the second day in a row, publicly complaining about Dr. Anthony Fauci, criticizing this key member of his coronavirus task force for the second time in as many days. In January, I put, and and I was criticized by everybody, including Dr. Fauci. I put in a wall. We put in a very strong wall. Only a small number of people were allowed in, and they were all U.S. citizens. I totally disagree with him on schools. And we will have, uh, I call them embers, I call them spikes. And he called, I noticed he used the word spike. Well, you might have that, and we'll put it out. We should be clear, Dr. Fauci never publicly disagreed with the president on restricting travel from China. And the only thing new that Fauci said about schools this week was that he does not think a vaccine will be ready by September, which is the consensus view of experts. Fauci expressed concern that if states don't adhere to the White House guidelines, there could be spikes that could turn into outbreaks. Those guidelines, I mean, that's the whole reason they exist. But sources tell CNN that President Trump, for whatever reason, feels that Dr. Fauci is undermining him and doesn't seem to be on his side. CNN's Caitlin Collins is back, um, along with our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Um, Sanjay, let me start with you. There's been this concerted effort by some at Fox and, and conservatives to undermine not just Dr. Fauci, but to attack scientific and medical expertise. From a health perspective, What's your reaction when you hear that? Well, I think there's always this, this sort of uh, desire to have 100% certainty about things. And when you go to the, the scientists, the experts, you're sort of holding them, trying to say, can you be 100% certain of things? And I think what you hear a lot is uh, the, the, the way scientists typically present things. You know, within a certain degree of likelihood, probability, here's where the evidence is sort of leading, you know. And, and I think that's what Dr. Fauci has done all along. I mean, sometimes... Uh, you know, you have to couch things. You can't say for certain about when a vaccine might be ready or when schools might open again. I just want to say, Jake, you know, I, I, I watched the hearing very carefully. I watched the entire thing. At the very end of the hearing, they did come back to this point about schools again. Uh, Senator Alexander asked Dr. Fauci and he said, uh, you're not saying that people shouldn't go back to school, right? And, and Dr. Fauci said, no, absolutely not, Mr. Chairman. What I was referring to was going back to school would be in the realm of the landscape of having more testing. So, you know, the idea that we need more testing, the idea that there shouldn't be significant community transmission, those are clear. He said that all along. So there's certain things that, uh, you know, are being ignored. And, and then this, the, they're assigning his position about schools, uh, which is something he didn't say. 
Yeah, it's bizarre. Caitlin, President Trump has been working with Dr. Fauci for months. Fauci's message has been consistent. I, I really honestly don't see any real substantive disagreements. It almost looks as though President Trump is trying to justify feeling animosity towards Fauci because all of these loud voices on the right are telling him to. Yeah, I think there are a few things feeding into why we're now seeing the president publicly break with Fauci and criticize him in a direct way that we have not seen over the last several months, even though you often saw Fauci contradict the president or disagree with something he said at a lot of those press briefings. And one is that the president is really trying to get the country reopened. He thinks that's his only way back to reelection. He's looking at these devastating economy, uh, economic numbers. And he really, he sees that. And what he sees when Dr. Fauci goes and testifies and is urging caution about things like reopening schools and whatnot, the president sees that as an impediment to his ultimate goal, which is reopening the country. And he even said yesterday he doesn't consider a state reopened if its schools are still closed. So that's one thing. The second is exactly what you referenced. You're starting to hear a lot more criticism from the president's allies of Fauci. We saw it in the hearing where Senator Rand Paul was criticizing Fauci, saying he shouldn't be the one to make the ultimate decision, which Fauci pushed back on, saying he's also never said that. But also a lot of the anchors that the president watches on television have been incredibly critical of Fauci in the last several days as well. And Jake, really just one other thing that someone pointed out to me is that Fauci and the president have not seen each other a lot lately. I don't think they've seen each other at all this week. You're not seeing them appear at these briefings. And when someone is not there sitting in front of the president, I think it does make a difference. And people like Dr. Burks have office space inside the West Wing, so she's still seeing the president pretty regularly. Dr. Fauci is at an office in another building, so he is not here in the same capacity. And I think all of that plays a factor in the president's public attitude toward him. Sanjay, I want to ask you about new research showing coronavirus can infect organs throughout the body, including not just the lungs, but the throat, the heart, liver, brain, kidneys, intestines. This was something just a few months ago that it was believed to only be a respiratory illness. Mm. How difficult is it to find possible coronavirus treatments when, when new symptoms keep appearing? Yeah, I mean, it makes it very challenging. I mean, there's various organs that become affected in a, in a way that uh, we haven't seen before with this type of virus. I think what's interesting here, though, is that it almost makes you think about where to intervene, right? If you could potentially create therapeutics that aren't necessarily looking at trying to stop replication of the virus once it's already in the body, but preventing the virus from entering the body in the first place. And there's been a lot of focus on these receptors, which they've now identified where the virus binds and, and trying to interfere with the virus's ability to do that. Because if you can do that, Jake, then you can sort of affect all the downward sort of effects of this virus on the body. So that would mean, you know, oftentimes we study these medications late, right? When someone is severely ill. Okay, but I think it's it. gonna be really interesting to see what happens with the medications that are studied early in the course of an illness before someone gets very sick or even perhaps uh, preventively, uh, prophylactically, Jake. Uh, and, uh, uh, Kaylin Collins, uh, let me bring you back because I understand you have some breaking news uh, right now uh, about uh, one of the president's uh, hotel properties. Yeah, and it's one that the president visits pretty often about this time of year. Mar-a-Lago, his club down in Palm Beach, Florida. We're now learning that it's going to partially reopen this weekend, encouraging guests to still maintain social distancing, follow guidelines. They've sent out a notice to members talking about, you know, best practices and how they're going to be cleaning the facilities while they're there. But it does 
uh, show a sign that even the president's own properties are making these steps toward reopening. The question that will remain is whether or not the president himself is going to visit there and how soon would that something like that occur? We haven't gotten any indication of that yet, though it's certainly a possibility. All right, Caitlin Collins and Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. And you can hear more from Dr. Gupta tonight when he hosts CNN's global town hall, Coronavirus Facts and Fears, with Anderson Cooper. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Coming up, millions more yet again filing for unemployment for the first time this week. When will this tragic situation improve? A new theory. That's next. In our money lead today, since the pandemic, more than 36 million Americans have now turned to their state governments for help to make ends meet. 36 million. According to the Labor Department, 2.9 million filed unemployment claims for the very first time last week alone. You can see the spike in mid-March when businesses started to shut down. This does not count furloughs or pay cuts and those who gave up on getting benefits. Let's bring in CNN business anchor Julia Chatterley to talk about all this economic pain Julia, despite the overwhelming numbers, weekly claims for unemployment, first-time claims are going down. Mm. Is that good news? Is that because states are reopening? It's a good question. It's probably too early to tell. And yes, it's a good thing because the worst is over, even though we're talking about millions of people. But what I did spot which I do think is a sign of a good news, is that there were 16 states here where people already claiming benefits actually saw the numbers fall. They were small drops, but perhaps it's a sign of rehiring. This is going to be key to watch next week. And Julia, you're asked all the time, several times a day, I'm sure, when might the unemployment situation improve? Today, there's a new theory. Tell us about that. Yeah, and then some, Jake. Perhaps a game changer here. There are over 50 million workers that are attached to small businesses that got loans under the PPP lending program. This is according to Deutsche Bank. Now, the end date for getting loan forgiveness and rehiring your workers is June 30th. So the analysts at Deutsche Bank are saying perhaps we see a huge surge in rehiring around that date. No one is talking about this, and we're talking millions and millions of workers. What would make this more likely, of course, is more clarity over the forgiveness part of these loans and more flexibility over how and when this loan money is spent. But it could be a game changer. And Georgia is among uh, the states with the highest unemployment claims, yet Georgia started reopening businesses a few weeks ago back in April. Is that a sign of Georgia businesses not rehiring even though they can? What's going on? This is a great question. What you need in order to hire is demand. You need customers coming in the door. You need confidence. So again, it's something that we have to watch. But what I can tell you based on the data of the cash that went to Georgia in these small loans, it should cover almost 90% of payrolls, Jake. The money's there. The conditions have to be right to get these workers back. This is the key. And I sound like a broken record. All right, Julia Chatterley, CNN Business Anchor, thank you, as always, appreciate it. In our politics lead today, Republican Senator Richard Burr stepped down as chair of the powerful Senate Intelligence Committee today. Burr says he didn't want the investigation into his stock sales to be a distraction. A senior Justice Department official confirms that Burr turned his phone over to the FBI yesterday after the highest levels of the Justice Department signed off on a search warrant. Burr sold up to $1.7 million in stocks in February. 
around the time that he received classified briefings on the coronavirus pandemic. The senator claims he was only using publicly available data to make his decisions. Senator Kelly Loeffler, Georgia Republican, also faces scrutiny over selling stock along with her husband. But she would not answer questions today as to whether she'd be interviewed by the FBI. Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein's office confirms that the FBI contacted her about stock sales her husband made earlier this year. Coming up, the numbers do not add up. What the Kremlin is claiming about the coronavirus death toll in Russia versus the reality, that's next. In our world lead today, the Russian government is reportedly grossly underreporting coronavirus deaths, according to several media reports. Russia right now is the country with the second highest number of coronavirus cases, only behind the United States, but in Moscow, the hardest hit city, mortality rates are unusually, suspiciously low. As CNN's Matthew Chance reports, this could be because of the way the Russians are doing the counting. Across Russia, it's become a common sight. Victims of this awful pandemic, buried by masked figures in hazmat suits as the bereaved watch helplessly from a safe distance. But one of the most pressing questions has been why, with the second highest number of coronavirus infections in the world, has the death toll in Russia been so low, just a fraction of other badly affected states? We now know one factor may be the way Russia counts its dead. Health authorities in Moscow, the epicentre of the outbreak, have now acknowledged as much, saying up to 60% of suspected coronavirus deaths have been listed as other causes, like heart failure, stage 4 cancers and other incurable diseases. Only deaths directly linked by autopsy to coronavirus, it says, are registered as pandemic fatalities. For months, critics have accused the Kremlin of a nationwide cover-up and of silencing attempts to expose the grim reality of the pandemic, especially by medical workers at the front line. Doctors are contacting us from hospitals where people with the coronavirus are actually being sent, she says. But instead of honestly saying this, the authorities are calling them patients with pneumonia and acute respiratory viral infections. Recent data indicating sharp rises in April deaths has fueled suspicions. But health officials deny manipulating the numbers. The country's deputy prime minister offering a clinical explanation by video conference. I would like to point out that a decrease in ammonia among the affected, almost ninefold between the onset of the illness to hospitalization, allowed us to have low mortality rates in Russia, which today are 7.4 times lower than the world's average. Russian health officials say their methods are unlike other countries and describe their numbers as exceptionally precise. Few doubt that is at least partly true. Well, Jake, it's a debate that's being had in other countries, too. How many people are dying of this virus as opposed to uh, with it? Well, in Russia, perhaps to allay public concern, they're taking the strictest possible definition about who dies with this disease and who does not. Back to you. All right, Matthew Chance, thank you so much. Coming up next, a robot on patrol in a park. We'll show you the new high-tech ways to stop this virus. Stay with us. 
thermal camera testing at Los Angeles International Airport, possible contract tracing, contact tracing on your cell phone, even Operation Warp Speed, the president's effort to speed up vaccine development. As CNN's Tom Foreman reports, the world is leaning on science and technology to get us through this pandemic. Let's keep Singapore healthy. At a park in Singapore, Spot is on patrol. The semi-autonomous robot developed in the United States wanders around counting people and giving friendly reminders. Please stand at least one meter apart. From space, where satellites are recording the impact of the virus on human movement, to phone apps meant to trace the contacts of infected people, to the quest for a cure. Scientists and engineers are fighting COVID-19 at every turn. And for celebrity scientist Bill Nye, that's a good sign. We absolutely have the science and technology to address this virus. But there are big challenges. First, figuring out what really works. Remote temperature sensors, for example, have become all the rage to try and spot virus carriers. A leading manufacturer, FLIR, reports $100 million worth of new orders, even though the company explicitly says its product is not really intended to detect people with the virus. Second, focus. Public health experts fear all the scattered efforts to bring science and technology to bear will be significantly diminished if they are not coordinated with overarching plans for testing, tracing, and treatment. You can't address a virus that can cross state borders at the speed of the wind without having a national or indeed international program. And third, time. For all the promises science offers, no large-scale solutions are expected quickly, especially when it comes to a vaccine. At best, it might be months, just as likely. It's two years, everybody. Two years before a vaccine. Even with all the technology we have now. Yeah, I think two years to get something that people trust. Until then, the research, the waiting, and the robot war on COVID-19 will go on. Gatherings of this part are not allowed. Make no mistake, around the world, around the clock, scientists and engineers are battling with this virus, and they are winning many of these battles. There's a lot of comfort in that, even as this greater war against it goes on and on. Jake. All right, Tom Foreman, thank you so much for that piece. We appreciate it. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Stay healthy. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.